the James is a powerhouse in hematology and hematologic cancers, period. I don't think anybody in the nation would challenge that statement. So, of course, yeah, it's an honor to join. It's much easier to join a group of people, an institution that's already rocking, right? This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and my guest is Marcos de Lima, the brand new head of the James Blood and Marrow Transplant and Cellular Therapy Programs. These are important and really fascinating areas of cancer research and treatment. So I'm excited to meet Marcos for the first time and to learn all about the great work he and his very large and talented team here at the James are doing. So welcome to the podcast, Marcos. Thank you, Steve, for having me. This is a pleasure. So first, before we dive into transplants and, and some of the cellular therapy advances, I'm very curious about your, your background. How did you get into medicine? How did you wind up here? Yeah, well, it, it can be a long answer, but I'll, I'll, I'll give okay. you the short version, I guess. So I was born in small town Brazil, you know, somewhere in, if you look at the map between Rio and Sao Paulo, southeast Brazil, and I went to medical school in Rio. And at some point in my trajectory there, I decided that I need to uh, get more education. And this is now 1994. I end up uh, for a variety of reasons in Houston, Texas, where I was welcomed with open arms at uh, uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center, which is a very large cancer hospital in Texas. Was this like a postdoc program? Yeah, like a fellowship. A fellow, okay. Yeah. And then I spent three years there. But um, had you already decided that cancer and oncology Absolutely. Was, that well, was, yeah. What about that made you decide that, that this is your area? So yeah, it's interesting you ask that, right? I mean, it's, uh, um, I think there was a scientific fascination, but there's also, in my family, we have what I, I always, we always joke that we have bad genes. So I lost a, a brother to uh, acute lymphocytic leukemia, and my father also had a brain tumor, so we had a wow. very heavy, yeah, yeah, very heavy. I, I didn't quite live through some of these. I was very young, but obviously there is that uh, weight, right, in your family of uh, all these events for obvious reasons. And uh, so I believe that had something to do with the choice, uh, mind you. Um, consciously or unconsciously, I had that imprint in my brain. Yeah. Wanting to help. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a drive, right? I mean, but I, the reason I say possibly was unconscious because I was so young. I never really lived through that. I lived through the consequences. But oh, not, so, so both your father and your brother, you yeah, were very my, young. Right. My brother was like seven, eight years older than me. I was a baby, and so I never really met him. Well, you know, it's a, uh, almost a double tragedy that, yeah. that they passed away and you didn't get to really get to know either one of them. You got it, man. So, so, but anyways, I, so I think that had something to do with it. And, and, and ultimately, I, I was lucky that MD Anderson accepted me. Um, so I came fresh off the boat and uh, <laughs> landed in Houston. And yeah. you've stayed here the whole time or did you go back and then come back again? Or? Right, right, right. right. So, so I, I spent three years in Houston, and then I went back to Brazil for two years. Um, that time, we uh, helped develop this uh, cancer clinic, free cancer clinic, mind you, in, in my hometown in Brazil, because um, there was a lot of uh, access, uh, difficulty in accessing 
yeah. cancer care where I came from. A more more remote areas have that right. problem here too. You got it. You got it. And uh, this was General Clinic, which today they have radiotherapy, everything within the Brazilian um, social security system. So people are treated for free. So it's a, anyways, that was a project. Then I came back. So uh, 2000, I joined the faculty at MD Anderson. Then I stayed there for another 12 years. Yeah. And, and then your, your area of expertise became uh, transplants and cellular therapy. Yeah, I was already in that area during training and, and end up obviously becoming my, my subspecialty, if you would. Uh, um, and then I basically, since then, that's how I do. I mean, mostly towards leukemias. So what yeah. about blood cancers is, is what fascinates you, is what drives you to, to do this? Well, I think you can look at why I gave you the personal, possible personal reason, right? But, but I think there is um, also a perception, or I would say even more than perception, that for many, many, many years, most of the advances, most of the, what you call cutting edge stuff was coming from the blood cancers. And, and, and ironically, that may be in part, at least, because it's easy to access, you know, you can have blood cancer cells much easier than you can have cells, for example, from a liver problem, simply because blood is easier to get. Oh, so yeah. for many years, a lot of the advancements were boom, boom, boom in cancer, coming from leukemia studies, from uh, other uh, blood cancers. And then today, less so with more technology and all that. So it's uh, uh, it would be unfair to say that uh, uh, blood cancers are the only ones seeing advances. I mean, we are seeing advances everywhere, as you know. But there was a little bit of that. It was easier to research. <laughs> and, uh, okay. and, uh, and boom, here we are. Now, yeah. I know that, that 8, 10, 12 years ago, the James really put an emphasis on the blood cancers and built a really good program. Did that have a, a factor in you coming here to take this, oh, yeah. this position? Absolutely. The James is a powerhouse in hematology and hematologic cancers, period. I don't think anybody in the nation would challenge that statement. So, of course, yeah, it's an honor to join. It's much easier to join a group of people, an institution that's already rocking, right, than, than yeah. having to start from scratch. No, no doubt, no doubt. I don't know. Sometimes it can be harder to help people get to the next level than to build them <laughs> up. So I don't know. You, I think you have a challenge either way. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> but, but I think it's easier when you already find people that are, you know, better than you are. So you just have to help people organize and, you know. That's true. Having motivated people yeah, is yeah. always a good thing. So, yeah. and fill us in, if you can, sort of the basics of, of blood and bone marrow transplants and just the real quick uh, evolution of where they've come from sure. and where they are. And then, then, but then later we'll get into the more amazing things with cellular okay. therapy. No, no, it's a, it's a important question, I think. So if you go back and think, where is uh, blood made, right? So blood is made inside the bones. So it's, you know, if I always joke with my patients, if you break a chicken bone and look inside, what you're seeing is bone marrow, right? And that's where the chicken blood is made. So same with us, you know, our bones are full of marrow, which makes blood. And so everything we call blood diseases uh, and so on, they are actually originating from the bone marrow, which is essentially the factory 
will follow that. So the genetic mutation that causes these blood cancers starts inside these bones. Absolutely. Okay, and yeah. then or the cells that live there, the ce- right? I, okay. You, you know, if you look at the microscope, it's almost like a, a matrix. And uh, those cells sit there, you know, interacting with those other bone cells, but, but they live there, you know, but they are not bone, right? They are blood. So they grow, they boom, and then they are shipped to the uh, circulation. And then that's what we see, right, when you do, a, you know, lab work and all that. But the origin, the source, is the bone marrow. So uh, um, one of the possible treatments, right, so say you have, um, actually, let me go back a tiny bit. So inside the marrow, there is a small subpopulation, small group of cells that we tend to call stem cells, mother cells, that are like, a good analogy would be their seeds. They have the potential to split in two, split in two, split in two, like a geometric progression, and make billions and billions of cells that come to the circulation. Keep in mind that, for example, um, a white cell, live. some of them live for six hours. Wow. And they die. That's just a short life. So you can imagine that the, the, the factory is shipping cells by the billions every minute of our lives. So as any assembly line of that magnitude, sometimes something goes cranky. Hmm. And when it goes cranky, sometimes what happens to that particular cell is just to basically get a survival advantage. So it becomes a competition. Imagine your, your backyard, you have your crop, whatever you want to grow, but then the, the, the weeds start growing much faster, right? So you have two... Oh, that's the, a great analogy because yeah. weeds, weeds always seem to grow faster. You got it. And same in the, in the, in the bones. You got it. It, it. The cancer one actually grows, grows faster. Than, yeah. It's not that everything is cancer, but usually they have a survival advantage. So a lot of the treatments historically are to try to give a survival advantage to the good guys, you know, it's not necessarily, you're not replacing anything, right? I'm giving you, say, a chemotherapy X. I am not fixing the intrinsic defect. I'm basically trying to kill more enemies than good guys and let the good guys take over again, right? I mean, it's sort of a balance, which brings us to bone marrow transplant, which is a different concept. You say, hey, this crop is never going to grow here unless I wipe out everybody and start all over and bring new seeds. So that's the concept of having a donor stem cell transplant. I get somebody else's cells, and then I have to do something about the stuff that's not working well first. That's when you give the massive amounts of... Yeah, of chemo or radiation yeah. or sometimes less, more, depending on how the person is. But you have to do something because now I want to give a survival advantage to the donor cells, right? So you, 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 you basically carpet bomb the enemy a little bit on a war analogy and then put your ground troops there, you know. And so this is the method, the bone and uh, blood marrow transplants that have been going on for 20, 30 years. Absolutely. That have been refined, uh-huh. but there's only so far so much you and others can do with it. And even, and But that leads us, I think, into some of the new advances through cellular therapy. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll dive into some of the cellular therapy advances that are really helping patients here and all over the world. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. 
We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Marcos de Lima, the brand new head of the James Blood and Marrow Transplant and Cellular Therapy Program. And I just want to follow up just a little bit on um, bone and blood marrow transplants. And you make it sound easy, which it's not. And it's come a long way over the years, particularly, I think, in in terms of controlling the the side Side effects effects of donor transplant. So fill us in a little bit of that, and then we'll we'll get into some of these more complicated cellular therapy treatments. So, you know, there are, generally speaking, two types of transplants. Uh, um, one of them is when we use your own cells. So we call that autologous. Um, that comes from an old concept that if I give you more and more chemotherapy, I can bypass tumor resistance. So say if I give you one dose, it's not enough, but if I give you five doses, that kills more cancer. And then people would save the bone marrow, freeze the bone marrow before the the actual chemo, and then give back the the, the cells to rescue you from those high doses of chemo. So that's a self-transplant. Those are, generally speaking, easier, but they do not fix the intrinsic problem, if there is one in those cells, right? Because I'm just giving you back the cells that I got from you. Oh, if, some of, if there's still some bad cells If there is in some there. contamination, I'm giving yeah. it back to you. Uh-huh. So that, that's, then you alluded to the donor stem cell transplant, which bypasses the issue of tumor contamination, right? Because I'm getting it from your Someone without health, cancer. health sister or whomever. But that one comes with also, you know, the possibility, for example that here's my sister cells in me, and they all of a sudden look around and say, who is this guy? I belong to Mary. This guy's a guy. So what am I doing here? Then they try to reject you. So that is a very, can be or could be a very strong side effect of, for example, the donor stem cell transplants. Um, Other side effects sometimes come with the preparation right? The way I prepare you to get the donor cells, so the chemo radiation, that can also cause some harm. And in part, I think this is the drive for your next uh, uh, question that you formulated, which is, can, how can you minimize these side effects? So we've done a lot of stuff along the years. We, we uh, um, learned to use less radiation or smarter radiation less chemo or smarter chemo. And long and behold, survival has improved a lot, thankfully. But ultimately, for the donor stem cell transplant, the intrinsic limitation is the fact that I'm giving you so many different cells. You know, if you look at a bone marrow, I mean, if you look at a slide in the microscope, you can tell there is even untrained eye, you see there's big cells, small cells. So they're not one thing. I'm not giving you, I'm not giving you only stem mother cells. I'm giving you all sort of stuff. So some smarter than me person or persons said, hey, can we break this down for parts? 
and then be more selective. Oh, not the whole cells. Not the whole package and say, hey, maybe there isn't this package. Maybe, you know, I know there are some cells that are actually detrimental. So now we're starting to have, now we're having even more fun, fun right? Because we, can, we have the technology to separate. And then there is even more fun, which is now I have technology to even separate and then genetically change some of the cells, right? To make them, we joke that make them serial killers of lymphoma, for example, or serial killers of leukemia. Now, these cells that you're changing, are these from the person, the patient, or donor cells, or both? Great question. It could be both. Or, or, well, usually one or the other, right, for a given patient. But uh, um, most of the manipulations, the genetic engineering, let's say, that's been done today, it's still with your own cells. Um, the so-called CAR-Ts, for example, right? Uh, um, they are uh, very, even commercially available, thankfully, today. And I, uh, um, but they are absolutely cells that we collect from you, called lymphocytes. It's a subset of your blood work, of your blood cells. And they are taken somewhere where a virus that's being engineered to carry those genetic instructions will infect the cells with that virus. So that virus goes there almost as if it's injecting. That's what viruses do, right? They hijack the, 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 the machinery of the cell to do something. Well, in this case, we use that natural tendency that virus has to inject instructions that are in our favor. To kill cancer cells. Yes, so you, you, the cells now start making a receptor, let's call that, a structure that can only recognize something on the surface of a cancer cell. And then you unleash those guys. All they know how to do is to go after that structure. And so that's, that's a, a pretty amazing development, right? I mean, that is relatively new. The, th the thing you just mentioned, that they're able to recognize something on the outer edge of the cancer cell, right. that that cancer cell is previously used to trick the immune system, right? Absolutely. So now it's un these viruses trick the trickster. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, it's a very good way to putting it because one of the ways by which cancer disappears from us is that sometimes you can put it in the microscope and say, look, it's cancer. How come my immune system cannot go there? I mean, I can tell that yeah. cell is funny. And these cells bypass that. Wow, totally. these genetically engineered cells that you put back in the body can identify the cancer cells and wipe them out. And, th and this is, as you mentioned, this is already approved and in use. Yeah, for some, I mean, obviously for a few conditions. So one of the challenges, I mean, uh, to, you, to your question, is that some cancers lack... Um, a structure that is exclusively expressed on the cancer. A target. Yeah, because if your target is widespread, it's dangerous because you, you may have this serial killer cells attacking your heart, for example. Uh, yeah. Right? So, so that's one of the difficulties, extending uh, the treatment with, with these engineered cells to solid tumors. It's different from the so-called liquid tumors, right? The leukemias, lymphomas, the solid tumors such as lung cancer. So not so. Oh, I see what you mean. It's it, it, they're it, different. Okay, very different. So we, 
the initially with CAR T cell, the genetically engineered uh, cells that you take out and put back were for uh, blood cancers. Absolutely. As is today, most of the successes are within blood cancer. So now the next step is how do we get to solid tumors? Totally, right? Because the potential is immense. So there are several barriers that somehow the blood cancers were relatively easier to address. And so the next frontier is solid cancers. So Uh, when you use the term CAR T-cell, I'm starting to, I think, understand that that's a a term that includes a wide variety of things. It's all this genetic engineering and that it's not just one thing or two things, that this is an entire new way of looking at and treating cancer and that there's going to be hundreds and thousands of little and big breakthroughs in the years to come. I, I, um, you know, do you remember um, from Greek mythology, the chimera? So the chimera is basically the head of a lion, uh, uh, the animal, the head head of a lion, body of a goat, whatever. I always get confused with my animals. But the chimera is a mixture of different animals, right? right? So CAR stands for chimeric antigen receptor. So the idea is you're putting that receptor on a cell where it didn't belong right in the first place. So that's the concept. That's the name. And as, as the, name, the name implies, the receptor can be different, right? So it's truly a tool and a platform that could be targeted a variety of different. And we also have, just to make things more complicated or better, I guess, you could use natural killer cells. You know, there is a subset of cells that you, uh, uh, um, the part of our blood that can also be engineered for this. And that's my joke about picking the bone marrow for parts, right? I mean, separating the cells and trying to separate the good from the bad and then get the good and engineer the good to do something. And that can be a lot of somethings, including, for example, I'm going to give you an example. Um, We, while I was uh, in Cleveland before coming, we were working with a group at UCSF uh, uh, in, in San Francisco and a group at a company called Lentigen that develops a lot of these viral uh, structures to treat the cells uh, in order to develop a car against HIV-infected cells. No cancer. Oh, okay. The, the car is able to recognize two proteins. So uh, the idea is that as the cell gets infected by HIV and it pops those structures on the surface, the car comes and kill them. So not allowing the HIV to take over. And this is going to be a clinical trial that's going to be conducted at UCSF in San Francisco, but the cells will be manufactured in Cleveland. So this is a and cure for HIV? We, we, or, or you we hope. sure hope yep. so, yep. yeah. Wow. They, 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 it's a very ambitious project, but gives an idea that my concept of a platform, right? It's not necessarily against right. cancer. It could be against an infectious uh-huh. disease or another virus-infected cells that uh, um, HPV comes to mind, right? That is a vaccination, and there are tumors that express HPV proteins, so you can target those. Um, that's cancer again, but but to me, the HIV cure, uh, uh, it's a huge one. If, if we can ever get to that point for yeah. self-explanatory, right? And HIV and HPV. and yep. But that was the word I think I was searching for, platform, that this CAR T-cell it's a is platform. a platform with incredibly widespread opportunities. So 
look ahead five, 10 years from now as, you know, because we're in the early, you're in the early stages all, yeah, of this. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. As you learn more and advance more, what's the future hold? How, how much good can it do? How much can you learn and do and treat? Uh, you know, it's interesting that if you asked me 10 years ago, what are the treatment modalities for cancer? I think everybody would say surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, right? I mean, I may be missing some, but were, then there was combinations of these three. And I think today, cellular therapy is a fourth. And, uh, um, you know, broadly speaking, it falls under the umbrella of immunotherapy, right? So if you, if you look at um, the immune system, we are basically using tools of our or somebody else's immune system to treat cancer. Um, there are today even medications that are trying to do that as well to capitalize on the immune system. So there's a, it's a fourth branch, if you would, in treatment of cancer. And I firmly believe that we're going to see um, cells more and more as part of this multidisciplinary approach, right? I mean, for example, lots of cancers are cured with radiation and chemo. Well, may well be that we're going to see a little bit of radiation, a little bit of chemo, a little bit of cells. Right. Um, but what sometimes we've, we, uh, I like to emphasize is that the potential is not just for cancer. As we're talking now, uh, uh, um, a variety of cells, um, if I may uh, add one, we are starting to collaborate okay, in uh, also a virus that will carry instructions for a potential cure for sickle cell disease, for wow. example. So it's not cancer, right. right? I mean, we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of uh, Americans that are affected and, and people all over the world that are affected by a very difficult disease, very difficult disease called sickle cell anemia. And, and, and uh, um, the idea that you can possibly cure some of these genetic uh, diseases by some of the processes, not necessarily, we're not going to call it a car, but some of the processes we're discussing here. Of removing know. cells, and, and, genetically and engineering And tweaking them and then and putting, putting them back. back. Yeah. Wow. And allowing the body itself, the immune system to do it. And it, I mean, there's so many diseases that this can apply to. Yeah. I, wow. mean, I already gave you a few, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I take it this, this, opportunity to do all this, it, it might have been the nudge to get you here to Ohio State. Absolutely. Uh, few places, right? I mean, there, there are others, but fewer places put together um, multi, you know, different areas. So, it, for example, right, I mean, we have a fairly large sickle cell program. Um, we have a fairly large cancer treatment program. And there are other centers, but very few have them all in the same right. umbrella. And so the possibilities of collaboration and intersecting uh, knowledge and interests here is so much larger than other places that can be very good in sickle cell, but they can't really put together the rest or, or vice versa. So big yes. Ah, but that. the missing element to help bring all these pieces together is you. Ah. <laughs> I'm sure that's... that's Time will tell. <laughs> no, but that's, that's the spirit, right? Because people ask me sometimes, well, but what is cell therapy? Do you have one definition? I said, not necessarily. Because 
I see my, it's funny that you asked that. My, I see my job as a connecting the dots. It's not just one thing, but it's to bring people of these different walks of life to uh, some sort of a common denominator, which would be obviously the cells. But as, as we discussed here, these are so different ways of looking at it. But we hope that we're going to have a hub for this type of knowledge to flourish. And that's that's the, the idea. Wow, it almost sounds like they have the, the Pelotonia Institute of Immuno-Oncology where they're bringing all the immunotherapies together and you're going to create a similar thing with, with cellular therapies we hope so. bringing all together. We hope so. And, and, and would be, in my mind, a mean machine to translate, for example, right, to the, the, what the Pelotonia Immuno-Oncology Institute may develop we may be the hub to bring that ultimately to the patient, right? Right, because so they're is, so connected. Yeah, so it's a perfect. There is no. It's no. Comp, there are no competing agendas. Actually, they are very complementary, very uh, uh, attached to each other. And you know, it's interesting because Zhi Li, who was new, fairly new here, and and you have that same enthusiasm. Ah. That uh, Funny. is very yeah. important because I'm assuming you've met him. In. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He's, we, he's an enthusiastic time. guy, and so are you. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. We we hope that we're gonna. Um, yeah, that goes to to my point about very few places put together these resources, right? And and and, and uh, Doctor Zihai Li is building up another mean machine of uh, immunologic discovery, right? So uh, yeah, these are all pieces of the same puzzle for sure yeah okay great well that was a great explanation and i'm very excited about all the things that you and your team is going to create and maybe in a year or two you'll come back and fill us in on some new targets and some new therapies and some new diseases and types of cancer that, that you're able to go after and and i hope to bring a few uh patients that will be cured so they can give us testimony as well Excellent. That's ultimately right. We can, you know, we, we don't want to lose the sight that this is all about curing people and giving them better lives. So, uh, exactly, and a, and a beautiful way to end this. So, thank you for joining this podcast. Thank you for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.